are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Tonight, I'm speaking on three men who witnessed and walked away from Calvary. And I can't afford to fool around or have any time to waste. It's 8.30 now, and we want to get right in the sermon, and I'll do my best to deliver it in just as few moments as possible. In John chapter 19, we begin with verse 16, and here's what we find. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his own cross, or his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two others with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Now those were the three prominent languages, the three outstanding languages of that day, and they were... The three languages spoken by most people in that area. So if a fellow spoke Hebrew, he could read it. If a man spoke Greek, he could read it. And if he used the Latin, he could read the words. It was in three languages, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now look at verse 21. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews. But that he said, I am king of the Jews. Now you may not see any difference in writing, he said I am the king of the Jews, and simply the king of the Jews, but there's a gigantic difference there. Now Pilate is not one of the three men. He's not one of the three that I'm going to talk about. But I want to stop and pay my respect to Pilate. So what do you mean, preacher? I mean exactly what I said. I want to take my hat off and pay my respect to Pilate. He had more respect for the Son of God than some preachers have today. Listen. Pilate prepared this little plaque and he nailed it over the head of Jesus and the words were, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And when that bunch of dignified priests and that gang of religious leaders saw that he had over the head of Jesus, king of the Jews, they said, Pilate, take it down and change the wording. That crowd's dead and gone, but their great-great-grandchildren are still at it. Rearranging and changing and modifying and taking out a little, and putting in a little. So Pilate said to that bunch of dignified religionists, he said, what I have written, I have written. It'll stay there. Now I admire it. I admire it for not taking that little plaque down and putting on it what the priest told him to put on it. Now listen. I know that God said, touch not mine anointing. 
And brother, I have never knowingly or willingly or intentionally taken a crack or made a sarcastic remark about any of God's preachers. But the thing that's wrong with this country, brother, is the fact that there are too many men in the pulpit today who are preaching for the denomination instead of God Almighty. They'd rather have a good name at the convention than a good name in heaven. Let me say this. I have a book. I, I, uh, I regret that I had spent five dollars to get it. But I spent five dollars to buy the book written by Nels Frey. And I wanted, I wanted to see it firsthand. I wouldn't advise you to buy it. I wouldn't advise you to buy an RSV Bible. Well, you say, Brother Green, I support a preacher that preaches out of the RSV, and I don't see a thing wrong with it. I don't doubt that. When you get your eyes open, you will. And when you compare it to your mother's Bible and your grandmother's Bible, you'll see something wrong with it. So, what I'm saying to you is this. Nels Perry has spoken in some of the leading Theological schools in the north, in the south, in the east, in the west, and he's recognized as a great religious leader in America. Here's what he says. And it's in the book. And if you don't believe it, you borrow one and you can read it. Nels Farage says that no doubt the daddy of Jesus Christ was a blonde-headed German soldier. Now, here's the way he says it. He says that hard by Bethlehem, there was a German garrison. And as girls will, Mary was hanging around the soldiers and got in trouble, and Joseph married her to hide her shame. He speaks in Baptist schools, Methodist schools, Presbyterian schools, and leading institutions across America. I have the Greenville Piedmont, not Nels Foray, but another outstanding Baptist, spoke on the platform of Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, one of the outstanding Southern Baptist schools, and he told those young Baptist preachers, it is not necessary to believe in the virgin birth to be saved. You believe in the virgin birth or go to hell. Now let me tell you something right now. A man that believes Jesus Christ was an illegitimate and that same man that says he believes that the Son of God was conceived out of red rock and he'll come to the platform and ask you to come to an altar or ask you to put your faith in that Jesus that he says was born out of wedlock, that preacher's lower down than the devil. Amen. And he's lower down than Pilate ever thought of him. And God has more respect for Pilate than he does a preacher that will stand in the pulpit and preach to people that his son was an illegitimate. Pilate said, you dignified scissor-tail-coat-braiding preachers, go home. I'm going to leave it just like I put it. I thank God 
there's still a few preachers left in America that has backbone enough to look the denomination in the face and look man in the face and look the dignitaries in the face and preach the convictions of their heart regardless of what it cost them. They may never pastor a big church. They may never be elected president of the convention. But I'd rather have God on my side and the conviction against me than to have them on my side and God against me. All right. Thank you, Pilate. I'm sure you're dead and in hell. But you did have a backbone. And I admire a man if he's an atheist. I admire any man regardless of what he is. If he is what he is and he refuses to budge, God deliver me from a jellyfish. Now, watch what happens. Then, verse 23, the soldiers which had crucified Jesus, often they had crucified Jesus, took his garments. And, watch it now, they made four parts. To every soldier part. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from top to out. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they parted my raiment among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now we've come to the first man that I want to talk about. I confess that I don't fully understand why the Bible mentions four soldiers unless they were men of the same rank as lieutenants or top sergeants. I think undoubtedly they must have been the four men under the centurion and these four soldiers were in charge of the soldiers who were stationed immediately around the cross. There's four of them. Now watch it. They divided the garments of Jesus. I don't know how many clothes Son of God had. I have no idea how many clothes he had. If he had more than one pair of sandals, they agreed and they divided his sandals. If he had more than one pair of trousers, they divided his trousers. I don't know what type clothes Jesus wore. I'm sure he wore the same type clothes the people won't stay. But I know this. They divided everything he had except his coat. And he had only one coat. And when they saw his coat, they recognized that it was an unusual coat. And I give these ungodly soldiers credit for having principle enough not to take their knife or take some machete or some other instrument and cut that coat into four parts. They saw that it was unusual. It was extraordinary. They'd never seen a coat like the coat of Jesus. So they said, let's gamble for it. I don't know what they did. They might have rolled high dice. I don't know. Maybe one of them drew a line. Maybe they took a Roman coin and they tossed to the line. And the man that came nearest the line won the coat. Maybe they cut the cards. High man gets the coat. I don't know what they did. But while the Son of God bled, while the Son of God died, while Jesus Christ was saying, My God, 
By God, why hast thou forsaken me? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. While the Son of God was speaking and preaching and pleading and bleeding and dying on the cross, they were gambling around the cross to get ahead. One of those soldiers went home with the most unusual coat any man ever put across his arm. You may have on a coat tonight that costs five hundred dollars. I doubt if there's one here that costs that much. You may have a coat that costs two hundred and fifty dollars. You may wear be wearing a suit, and that's very easy. It's certainly not uncommon today to meet some men on the street with a suit of clothes that costs two hundred and fifty dollars. Your suit might have cost a hundred dollars, a coat and a pair of trousers. I don't care, God bless you, what you paid for it. You won't find a coat without a seam. Brother, that coat, God bless you, was the most unusual, the most extraordinary coat that those soldiers had ever cast their eyes upon. And when they saw that coat, they said, that coat is so unusual, so extraordinary, so uncommon. We dare not carry it. We dare not cut it. Let's gamble for it. One of them won the coat. I don't want you to ever forget this coat. I'm not talking about this coat. I want to hang that one right there. If you go to hell, you'll remember this coat. I'll take it down. I want you to see it. If you go to hell, if you die and go to hell, You'll remember this unworthy preacher standing here with my finger raised, pointing to that black raincoat and declaring unto you that you'll never get that coat out of your mind. If you go to hell, you'll say, my God, why didn't I get saved that Sunday night when the preacher talked about the coat. I'm going to hang it right here. Come back to it later. You want a coat? Say, friend, friend of mine, you belong to the gambling crowd. Say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean exactly what I said. You said, Brother Green, I sure would like to attend church, but you know my job won't allow me. Then you'd better get another job. Now, it's honorable to make a living. And it's dishonorable not to make a living. And a man that won't provide for his own household is more down than an atheist. But my brother, if your job prevents you worshiping God, you'd better get another job. There are many ways that people gamble away their time, their opportunities, to be saved, trying to get ahead. Now, I'm going to say this. And if I didn't feel like it needed to be said, I wouldn't say it. If I didn't feel like it's needed, I wouldn't say it. It's honorable for a precious woman to work 
if it is necessary for that woman to work, to make a livelihood for her family, and to keep that family in bread and clothes, it's honorable for a woman to leave her children with a babysitter and her house to a housekeeper and go to a job and work. But sister, if your husband can make enough to keep your family together and feed your family and have a comfortable shelter over your head, your place is at home. The only reason some of you ladies work is so you can stay ahead of the Greens and the Joneses and the Browns and the Smiths. You want to trade cars every 12 months and have a color TV. That's the only reason you work. Now, I'm for the ladies. I mean, a sweet woman's the sweetest thing this side of heaven. A mean woman's the meanest thing this side of hell. I'd rather have 17 gangsters after me than one mean woman. Amen. <laughs> you let one of these deacons get married to preachers. This has happened, not here, but in other places. It may have happened here. But not to him. But I know this for a fact. I can give you the name of a town. I can give you the name of... And it's a Baptist church too, brother. I name the town, name the preacher, and name the deacon. And he got mad at his pastor and invited him out on a country road. He said, you meet me at such and such a place. And said, I'll beat the socks off of you. That preacher said, I'll be there. <laughs> He came back home with his socks on and put his deacon in the hospital. Now that's not right. That preacher had no business going out there. A deacon calls me up and tells me to meet him somewhere. I'm going the other way. And then if that buzzard hems me up, I'll kick his teeth out. Amen. I will. But I won't go ask for it. Now I said all that to say this, brother. It doesn't make any difference, God bless you. And I say this in love, and I say it in tenderness, and I say it from a broken heart. I'm not bitter, but there's not, listen, there's not a man in the world can hate like a woman. If one of these deacons get mad at this preacher, they'll invite him outside and say, come on here, I'll whip you, you whip me. If a man gets mad at you downtown, he'll say, meet me such and such a place, and I'll give you a whipping. He does give you a chance to run. You let an ungodly woman get mad at you. She'll invite you to her house, make you a cup of coffee and put enough rat poison in to kill 17 men and rub your bald head while you drink it. Amen. <laughs> I never will forget. I was living in Salisbury, North Carolina on the radio there, still on the radio there. Still on the same station, 20, 24 years ago, 23 years ago. I got a letter in the mail one day, and this woman, brother, she had soaked that thing with tears. And she said, preacher, please write my husband. He's over so-and-so, and he's left to me, and my heart is slowly melting. Oh, I want John back so badly. Brother Green, please write him and tell him to come home. I wrote John. A few days later, I got an affidavit back, signed, sealed, and notarized. They said, Preacher, 
I can produce, I can produce three of my neighbors that saw my wife one day when I came in off the third shift and went to sleep. And I was lying in my own bed, dead to the world in slumber after working all night on the third shift. My wife came in my room and took my revolver out of my dresser drawer and held it right over my temple and cocked it. One of my neighbor ladies grabbed it out of her hand and said, Don't kill him while he's asleep. Now he said, What would you do? I answered him, Air mail, special delivery, registered, and I put on that rush. I said, John, for God's sake, get another ticket and move on. Amen. Now, what I want to say to you tonight is this. I want to say to every man, and I want to say to every woman, and I want to say to every young man and every young woman under the sound of my voice, there is nothing in this world so important, there is nothing in this world so urgent as getting right with God, and you'd better not gamble while you have a chance to be saved. I might as well go ahead and nail this thing down while I'm here. I know a filling station operator that invited a deacon and a Sunday school teacher in his filling station to put up their money. They were matching for a Coca-Cola. He said, you profess to be Christians and here you are matching for a Coca-Cola in front of sinners. Well, you say, what's wrong with that, preacher? If you weren't such a tight, warden skin flint, you'd buy your buddy a Coke. Amen. And you might as well match for the Empire State Building as to match for a Coca-Cola. You're a gambler. You catch a couple of these colored fellows uptown, out in the back alley, uh, sitting, come eleven, the baby needs new shoes, and they're rolling high dice, and you arrest them, tear them down the magistrate's court, God bless your crime, give them 90 days on the chain gang, hard labor. Well, let some of you Baptist women have a bridge party. And they'll put in the paper, bless God, on the society column, the society page, what woman won the prize. She'll go to the same hell the Negro goes to hell for rolling dice. You say, I don't like you, Oliver Green. The devil don't either. Whether you like me or not, don't bother me. You are taking a chance and playing the game of chance. You're a gambler. You'll go to hell for gambling. Amen. All right. So they gamble. They gamble. And one of them picked up a coat. The most unusual coat. The most extraordinary coat that any man ever threw across his eye. But while he won a coat, he lost the opportunity to be saved. What did you say, preacher? Did anybody else get saved that day? They sure did. I'll tell you who. In a few minutes. Look at the next fellow. I'd like to read a lot of scripture, but I can't. Verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that day, that Sabbath day was a high day, special Sabbath. He sought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. 
Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other that was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Now here's the second man I want you to see. And I want you to fashion your eyes upon him and gaze at him while I read about him. Look at your Bible. Verse 34. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Jesus was dead. And you know, if you have had sense, and I'll use it, and that's not being harsh or sarcastic, but if you have enough common sense to be in public and not be in an institution for the feeble-minded, if you have had sense, you know that a dead man nailed to a cross was hanging limp. His head was bowed. His body was limp. And here's a man, for some reason, hates so deep. And he has such a calloused heart. And he is so despicable in character that he rips out his bayonet after the Son of God has been officially pronounced dead and they didn't break his legs. He rips out his bayonet and he runs it in the body of a dead man and splits him open. If they have an open forum, a round table discussion when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus what he did and what he said to make that man hate him so much that he just had to stick him even though he was dead. I got news for you. I got news for you. There's some folks in Chattanooga, Tennessee that's just as dirty as this man that stuck the spirit. After he's dead. Prove it, Mr. Green. I'll be glad to. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. Amen. You agree with that? Say The air we breathe comes from God. You agree with me? Say The sunshine that is necessary for life, the sunshine that keeps us alive, God Almighty gives us the sunshine. You agree with me? Say Yet you have people in Chattanooga that will inhale God's good fresh mountain air and spit it back in God's face taking God's name in me. A man that'll breathe God's air and cuss God's just as dirty as the man that stuck him after he is dead. If you're a cusser, you're going to hell on the cheapest ticket hell has. You're riding the caboose to hell if you're a cusser. God deliver me from a cussing man and God deliver me from a cussing woman and God deliver me from this cussing crowd. I'd rather hear a mule bray and a hound dog bark at three o'clock in the morning. Amen. I feel so sorry for some men. Let me modify that. I feel sorry for some males. M-A-L-E-S. Not all males are men. Some of you women thought you married a man, but you married a pair of trousers with a shoestring up a white shirt. Amen. That's all you married. If he's a man, he'd put you in your place. 
And I feel so sorry for a man that lives with a wine-bibbing, cigarette-sucking, beer-guzzling, cussing woman. I don't know what to do. God have mercy. I'd rather be married to a first-class, white-faced, registered Jersey cow than a cussing female. <laughs> that first heifer will come home when the sun goes down. That second one won't. Amen. Okay. Shame it! Do you cuss? You say, preacher, the word is curse. I beg your pardon, it's cuss. And I'd like to serve notice on you that any old cuss can cuss. You don't need to go to school to learn how to cuss. It's wonder God don't give you hog calling. I'm sure he would if he didn't love hogs so much. A man take God's name in vain has got no business dying like a hog. Because there's not a hog in the country that doesn't bless your heart, eat his food, and drink his slop, and occasionally turns his eyes and looks up at the sky. But you got some men that'll sit down and eat three meals a day, go to the plant work 40 hours a week, draw a paycheck for 95, 105, 125, and then right back and You'll go to hell just as sure as you're looking in my face. Christians don't cuss. Saved people don't cuss. I go a step further. Ladies and gentlemen don't cuss. So I'll never come back to hear that bird again. That's all right, sweetheart. I'll cut your horns off while I got you. Amen. Amen. I'll cram one dose down your throat that you've been needing a long time. There he is. Are you listening? The, the general walks up to the court. Listen, everybody that loves the Bible should have a good Bible. And I want to stop right here and say this. You should come to the altar tonight. If you have a $300, I don't guess you can even buy one for that. I imagine the cheapest color television costs you $500. If you have a $500 color TV and a dollar and a quarter dime store Bible, you ought to come down here tonight and ask God to have mercy on you. Some of you dear ladies, and I'm not criticizing you, you wear shoes that cost $22, $27.50, and some of you wear shoes that cost $30. And the reason you do, you have an unusual foot and you can't fit it. And I, I say a woman should pay $35 or $50 for a pair of shoes if it takes that to be comfortable. Brother, it's a dirty shame to pay $100 for a suit of clothes, $5 for a necktie, $25 for a pair of shoes, $300 for a color TV, then go down to the dime store, bless God, and get a dollar and a quarter Bible. You may be saved, but you're just barely saved. You've never grown an inch, Amen. Get you a good Bible, a good Bible. Get you a good Bible dictionary and a good Bible commentary. And don't buy one until you talk to your pastor, if you have a fundamental pastor. And if you don't, you should get in a church where you do have a fundamental pastor. Get you a good Bible, and you ought to read up on these things. Now, I sure all that say this. Listen. On the cross, Jesus had a nail through this hand, nail through that hand. He had a spike through that foot, and a spike through that foot. 
And you know he could have hung there for maybe uh, ten days or even sometimes they hung there longer before they died. Now the next day was a very high Sabbath. And these Jews were so religious that they had to get those dead bodies off the cross. And when they broke the legs of those people on the cross, they didn't take an iron bar and hit them one time and break their legs. They beat the bones into a pulp. From their ankles up to their hips. So they die fast. And they broke the legs of the first. And they broke the legs of the other. And when they looked at the man on the middle cross, he was dead. And the lieutenant stepped back and said, Soldiers, he's dead. Our job's finished. But one of them yanked out his bayonet, rammed it in his dead body, and split him open. I'd like to ask that soldier what Jesus said, what Jesus did that made him so angry. And I'd like to ask you one before I move to man number three. Sinner, what has Jesus done to you? You have ignored him today, yesterday, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, last Sunday, you're 21 years old, 31 years old, 41 years old, you're a sinner, you breathe God's air, you bathe in God's sunshine, use a good common sense, God put in your head, run a job, drive a car, live in a house, got a wife, precious babies, and you cuss God, blaspheme God, cuss the preachers, damn the church, Cuss everybody that tries to live right, call us a bunch of fools and fanatics, crackpots and sissies. I like to ask you in the name of God, what has God done to you? Then I want to hasten to say, if God hadn't kept the devil off of you, when you started to get out of bed this morning, you'd have got your foot hung in the sheet, and you'd have broke your neck, and you'd have been dead and in hell before you had a cup of coffee. If God hadn't kept the devil off of you, you're alive! Because of the mercy of God Almighty. That's the reason you're alive. Let me tell you something, sinner. Let me tell you something, sinner man. Let me tell you something, sinner woman. If you're a sinner, you ought to shut your eyes right now. And under your breath, you ought to say, Thank you, God. You didn't let me get killed and go to hell today. You know, I, I tell you, preacher, I can't help it. I, I know my time's gone, but I, I tell you, this is the last time I'll preach to some of these precious people. And it may be the last that I'll ever preach. I don't know. I have this in a track. Some of you have read it. It's an absolute authentic fact. And I have the original letter. I always keep in a safe, a fireproof safe, anything like this that I say on the radio. Because somebody may come and say, Mr. Green, prove what you just said. And I have it. And ever, ever so often we get a letter from somebody in Radio Land. And they say, Green, I'm surprised that you said thus and so. I have on tape everything I've said in the last 15 years on the radio. I never preach a sermon on the radio that we don't keep a master in a can and fire. If you want to know what I said on the radio, it's on tape. I have this letter in a safe. 
fire food safe. In the state of New York, a dairyman wrote me this letter after this thing happened. And please be attentive and I'll curse. He said, Brother Green, he said, I think you should know this. And he wrote me a letter. He said, I had a hired hand. And said, we've always listened to the gospel hour. We love God's preachers. We go to church and we're Christians. And said, we have a radio in the dairy barn. He said, in the morning, when you come on Wheeling, West Virginia at 5.30, we tune you in. And then when you came on the New York station at 9 o'clock, we tuned you in. And he said, this man came to work for us. And said, we turned it in like we always did. He didn't say anything the first morning. He didn't say anything the second morning. He didn't say anything the first week. He didn't say anything the second week. But then, preacher, he'd talk back to you. While you'd preach, he'd trust you. He said, when you'd say hell, sometimes he'd have a fit. Of all the vile cursing I've ever heard, he said, preacher, when you'd talk about hell, he'd cuss you. And he said, one morning he preached on hell the entire time, and he came to me after the service, that was at 5.30, and when I cut it off, he said, I'm not going to listen to that blankety blank, 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 blank again at 9 o'clock. And the farmer said, come on to the office and I'll give you a check, you're fine. Then he caught this. He said, if you want to listen to the gospel hour at 9 o'clock, you can keep on working. If you don't want to listen to Oliver Green, this is my barn, my dairy, my farm. I pay you my radio. You listen to the preacher or I'll write your check. Which do you want? He cussed and said, I'll listen to him again. <laughs> Are you listening, beloved? Five minutes until nine. Now this is almost too terrible to tell in the next audience. But most of you are understandable adults. And the children won't understand anything. He said, Preacher, we milk at 5.30. We take care of the milk. We put the cows in the pasture. We feed them. While you come on at 9 o'clock, we always clean the dairy barn. Now, any of you folks who know anything about dairy barns and where they milk the cows, you know what I mean. The hired hand was pushing they refused out of the alley where the cows are milked. And at five minutes until nine o'clock, five minutes before Brother McGilvoy would have started singing, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, five minutes before the gospel hour came on the air, that hired man that cussed and cussed and cussed and said, I don't want to hear that blankety blank blank at nine o'clock. He dropped dead face first. Down in the trench that he was sweeping out. And the man said, Mr. Green, I picked him up with a hair of the head. With my fingers, I pulled the filth out of his eyes. And I felt of his pulse and he was dead. He didn't listen to the gospel. He didn't have to listen. But if he is in Chattanooga tonight, he'd be down here in one of these chairs right here. You go ahead, buddy. Go ahead, sister. And you tell God Almighty what you're not going to do. And God will show you what you're going to do. Don't you ever tell God Almighty what you're not going to do. You'll go to hell so fast. God bless you, mister. He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without him. Some of these things you see in the paper are tragedies unavoidable. 
others are God Almighty cutting off folks who cross the dead. I thank God there's a third man. Turn to Mark 15 right quick. Mark 15. And we'll finish. Mark 15. I'll hurt. Man number one, the soldier that won the coat. Man number two, the man that hated so deeply, hated so vehemently, hated so terribly that he just tried, that he just had to try to hurt him. Maybe there's one little spark of life left. Maybe there's one little spark of feeling left. So he ripped out his bayonet and he rammed it in the side of a dead man. Thank God for man number three. I'd like to read a lot of scripture, but save time I won't. Verse 34, Mark 15, 34. I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to tell the story, and you watch your Bible, and I won't misrepresent it. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why is thou forsaking me? And some said, He's calling for Elias. And verse 36 said, One ran, took a sponge, filled with vinegar, put it on a reed stick or a weed, and put it to Jesus' lips, saying, Let him alone, let's see if Elias will come and take him down. Now watch it. Watch it. Verse 37. And Jesus cried with a what kind of a voice? Tell me. Loud voice. Jesus cried a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Now John tells us, and of course that's the reason we have four Gospels. That's the reason we have four Gospels. Every Gospel has a message, a distinct message, a peculiar message. And four writers give us the story. John, the beloved, tells us that Jesus cried out, It is finished. Into thy hands I commit or commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. What the Bible simply, uh, what the Bible is saying in simple language, your language and my language, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, It is accomplished! Father, I finished the work you sent me to do. Here's my spirit. And he literally took his life and handed it to God and fell limp on the cross. Now, here's our third man. Of course, verse 38, the veil of the temple went from train, in train top to bottom. Verse 39, and when the centurion, the Roman Gentile, Roman centurion, which stood over against him saw that he stole, cried out, and gave up the ghost. Those are the two things that convinced him. He heard the cry and saw Jesus literally pass his life to God. And when the centurion stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he, the centurion, said, Truly this man was the what? Say it. Son of God. Now then I want you to help me and help me quickly. Now, here's the microphone. Maybe I can get over here. Please record me. All right. Now here's the mic. And of course everybody can't see the mic. I want you to help me now. I want you to answer a question that I want to drive home. My final truth, my final thought, 
and then we'll have limitation. But I find in my Bible, and I said last night when I announced this subject, Calvary is just a little ball rock. Your pastor has seen it. Pastor in the Smoky Mountains, they wouldn't call that a mountain, would they? Calvary is just like this pulpit sitting right in the middle of this auditorium. In other words, if there, if, if there was not a few in here, if there were no chairs in here, if this auditorium was completely vacant, and you put this pulpit right out there in the center of it, and nail Jesus up on a cross right like this microphone, that's the picture. Because Calvary was just a little ball rock protruding out of the Judean hills. But around Calvary there could have been 100,000, 200,000 people standing, and they could have seen Jesus. They might not have heard him, but they could have seen him. Now, I pitched at the line, one pulled out of bed, it ripped open a dead man, but the third man stood, stood over where? Tell me. Against me. Now, am I against this microphone? Am I against this microphone? Am I against this microphone? No. What about that's where the centurion You don't have any right to say that I'm misrepresenting the scripture when I say the feet of Jesus were not as your Roman Catholic pictures picture him sticking up here about ten feet there. I believe the feet of Jesus were no more than ten inches off the ground. Why would they stick him up in the air six feet? He carried his cross. You build one. And see how large a cross you can carry. I believe the feet of Jesus were no more than 12 inches, 24 inches, certainly no more than 36 inches. Just suppose the feet of Jesus were this high off the ground. I believe the Son of God on the cross, brother, as he hung on the cross. I believe his feet were at least that near the ground. And the centurion leaned over against his while the others gambled, while the others divided his garments, while that soldier stood there with hate in his heart and his hand on his bayonet, the centurion was listening. And he heard him when he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Father, forgive them. Woman, behold thy son. Disciple, behold thy mother. I thirst. My God, my God. He heard it all. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. While the others gambled and cursed and railed and sneered and jeered, the centurion was standing over against Jesus, listening to every word he said. He was an honest he was a sincere seeker of truth. You know why some of you fellows are not saved? You know why some of you people are not saved? You say, Mr. Green, there's so many religions, there's so many churches, there's so many preachers, there's so many doctrines, 
You come on the radio on the screen and you shout grace, 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 grace. Here comes another fellow on the radio right behind you and he says grace works, grace works, grace works. Here comes another and he says be baptized in the name of Jesus only. Somebody else says be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Here's one that says you have eternal life. Here's another that says you get saved 15 times. And preacher, I'm so confused. I don't know who to believe. I don't know what to believe. I'm a sinner. Listen, brother. If you want to know the truth, you can know the truth. If you'll take your place at the word of God and stay there. Amen. Just stay there. You mean to think you'll go to hell, God bless you, and tell God that the reason you're damned you didn't know who to believe. You believe this book. Let God be true and every man alive. I'm on a 50,000 watch station in Los Angeles, California, and my program comes between Herbert W. Armstrong and Bishop Johnson. He's dead, but they're still playing his tapes. And Bishop Johnson says, you must be immersed in water and speak in an unknown tongue or go to hell. And what Herbert Armstrong preaches, I don't have time to tell And don't cuss me and don't get mad at me. Don't say Green's a fanatic and a fighter. You get Mr. Armstrong's literature and lay it down beside your Bible and get your fundamental passion to sit with you one hour and you won't call me the fool. But I'm on right between those fellows. Here comes Herbert Armstrong and he says, and he very plainly preaches, water salvation. He does not believe in everlasting hell. He does not believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he declares dogmatically that you must keep the law or be damned. But Romans 10, 4 says Christ is the end of the law for everyone that believes it. And I'm all right between now here comes one fellow preaching this, and I come right in the middle of it, and I say, grace, 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 grace. Here's another fellow comes on, he says, water, water, water. And somebody says, what am I going to believe? Let God be true in every man of yeah. If you want to know the truth, mister, you drive up a stake and stay by this Bible, and you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Young man came up to me not so long ago, weeping, shedding crocodile tears. He said, Preacher, I want you to pray for my daddy. He's backslid. Said he was a Sunday school superintendent for 35 years, and he backslid and went into the Russellites. Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, I'll not pray for him that he'll be reclaimed. He looked at me. He said, you won't pray for my daddy to be reclaimed? I said, no, son, I'll pray for God to save you, old poor daddy. A born-again Baptist will never go after the Russellites. Amen. Amen. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded or confused. Amen. Amen. You can confuse a church member, but you can't confuse a child of God. Amen. Now let me finish this. He stood over again. all the criminals out there. Jesus wasn't the only one crucified out there. They crucified all the criminals out there on the Calvary. And this Roman had seen many die. And he'd watched them as they got weaker. 
weaker and weaker. And they'd crush the bones in their legs and beat their legs into a pulp and they'd say, Here's a man dying on the middle cross and he's dying and he cries out, I thirst! It is finished! Father, here's my spirit! And he fell up. And the centurion heard him cry and saw him die. He said, Yes, sir. This man was the Son of God. And whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Let me read you a very enlightening verse. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is my last verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is the last one. And we'll begin the invitation in just a very few minutes. I want you to watch it. Here it is. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, 4, 4. I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord by the Holy Ghost. How did that poor pagan Gentile centurion know that Jesus was the Christ of he stood over against him and listened to the word, and the Holy Ghost took the word and opened his heart. Amen. If our gospel be hid, it's hidden into the lost, in whom the God of this age has blinded their minds, lest the glorious gospel shine into their hearts and they be saved. Brother, the word of God, the entrance of the word giveth light. The entrance of the word bringeth light. And that dear old Gentile centurion stood there at the foot of that cross. And he saw it all and he heard it all. And he said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This man, yes, truly, this man was God's son. I expect to meet him in heaven. Amen. I'm through. Crucifixion's over. They've just beat this thieves' legs into a pulp. They've just beaten that thieves' legs into a pulp. The middle man standing his side is ripped wide open and blood and mortar gushed out. They're going home now. I see one soldier walk over and pick up a coat. Throw it across his shoulder. Home he goes. You want a coat? The most unusual coat. Any man ever threw across his shoulder. But he won that coat. Beneath the dripping of the blood that is what he washed his sin today. But he was so occupied trying to get ahead, trying to win a coat, trying to get something tangible that was unusual. He won the unusual, but he lost his soul. Amen. Right. Amen. I see a second man. And I see him. As he goes home, when he gets home to the old Roman barracks, I'll get it in a minute. I see him as he walks in. And he goes in the old Roman barracks. And one of his buddies looks at his spear and he says, 
It's funny. Your baby's funny. You've got him, didn't you? Did he almost get you before you got him? Did he stand at you? Did he catch you anywhere? Did he leave any scratches for you? My, you're a hero. Let's show your bloody spear to the captain. That soldier drops his head. He said, sir, I'm no hero. That's the blood of a man that was dead when I stopped. And furthermore, he was not only dead, he was nailed to a cross. That is the lowest cop that ever lived. A realm of city into the side of a man that's pronounced dead a tissue. And to add insult to injury, he was nailed and couldn't defend himself. Alright. Man number three. He goes home. He's a centurion. He crawls in his little Roman army bed. He pulls that old Roman army blanket up under his chin. And he looks to the stars above. And praise God, he sleeps like a baby. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.